right, so welcome back to the Jason and Peely Project. Excited for today's guest. We have Henry Doss on the show. Hey, Henry, how are you? I'm great. How you doing, Jason? Well, I'm doing great, and uh, I really just love your setup. We talked a bit offline. If you're, if you're listening to this, you should probably go over and check out the video. He's got quite the setup, and he said this is just the, uh, the, the tip of the iceberg. But Henry is a serial entrepreneur, business coach, screenwriter, and self-described ordinary guy, and now a personal finance coach, born in Brooklyn at the tail end of the Eisenhower years, lived his entire life in and around New York City, um, lived his life in and around money as well, from cutting lawns to a kid to managing stock portfolios as an adult. Um, his consulting business, DOS Knowledge, helps professional coaching for entrepreneurs and business owners of companies with top line sales under 10 million. And he's got his debut book, which we're gonna talk about today, FQ, Financial Intelligence. So, Henry, that does not sound like an ordinary guy. So <laughs> That sounds pretty good. It's almost like I wrote it myself. I mean, uh... <laughs> so I'd have to say, well, I'll, I'll start there. Living in and around New York City, which um, Peely and I met in New York City. Uh, I lived in New York City myself for 13 years. I'm actually out in New Jersey now. Um, there's so much talk about the um, people leaving New York City, right? And uh, and, yes. and um, James Altucher had the post that went pretty viral about um, uh, New York City being dead. How do you feel about that statement? Well, Jerry Jerry uh, Seinfeld wrote an answer song to that, uh, which I read in the New York Times. Uh, as Mark Twain so aptly said, uh, rumors of my death are exaggerated. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm in the Seinfeld camp. I mean, you're uh, you know you're living in a fool's paradise if you think that. New York will not recover from this. I lived there through for about 25 years. My wife is, you know, born and raised in New York. I raised my kids there when they were little. I was on the street in 9/11 when we thought it was the end of the world. Um, the city will recover. I, I, I'll even, I'll even go further than that. The city will recover and will be better than it ever was. It's just going to take a little time. Yeah, I agree. It, it's there's that draw to New York City that when you when you get there you understand, but when you're no from other afar, place like it on Earth, and I've been correct. all over the globe, and there is no other place like New York. So it's a body blow. It's a temporary setback. Look, yeah. uh, you know, I, I write an update every. I just posted it uh, this morning. I call it the DOS FQ update. I write it every two weeks, and a couple of weeks ago I talked about the real estate market. How you know, uh, I live in New Jersey like you, um, and the real estate market is the hottest, one of the hottest that, that I've ever seen. It's absurd. I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's actually a joke. Um, and we and my wife and I are looking at real, real estate because we're leaving New Jersey. So we've been looking, you know, we're looking, we're moving to Vegas, and but we're also looking to, to buy a place somewhere around New York just to kind of mm. keep our, our feet here during the summer because it's too hot in Vegas. Um, yeah, 15,000 empty rental units uh, in, in New York City, uh, including, well, my son is not empty. I mean, it's empty. We have a little apartment on Lexington Avenue. Um, he went there because he got the COVID and he had to um, sequester himself, but now he's huh. back here because there's nothing going on in the city. It's yeah. Just, just a little dead, so. Yeah, and I see that. And why, why, why the move to Vegas? Mm. Vegas checks a lot of boxes. You know, I like, I loved living in New York. I loved having the easy access to all sorts of different activities. 
Um, but I only do it infrequently, every yeah. every once in a while. I mean, how often? You know, we go to Broadway shows, but you know, once a year, maybe twice a year. Uh, Vegas has all that. I'm not a gambler. I really don't gamble, but I've been there many, many times, um, probably at least 20, 25 times. My wife and I got married there. Uh, January 1st will be our 30th anniversary. We got uh, oh, married on New Year's Eve in, yeah. in Vegas. Um, it's a nice dropping off point to LA. We've got friends who I think are going to be moving to LA. My youngest son's in Utah. Um, there's no taxes, right? I wrote a book called mm -hmm. FQ Financial Intelligence. So there's no state or local taxes, not like here, high tax area. That's and right. my kids are all out of public schools, so I don't need to fund that anymore. And you're close to all the national parks, on and on. I sound like an ad for Las Vegas, but, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, Good. but it's, it, it, it has a lot of attributes. The only downside is, is, is it's breathtakingly hot during the summer. Sure. Which is why we'll need a place back here so we can get out of that hot weather. Because my wife doesn't like the hot weather. So. Yeah, I love, I love that. And so talk to us. You mentioned the book, Financial Intelligence, 432 pages. Did I read that correct? <laughs> yes. So. It's, it's, it's a beast. It's 120,000 words. Like people say, couldn't you make it shorter? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I could have made it shorter. It wouldn't have been as good. Well, what drew you to draw to, to start writing this book and and how did you you start incorporating a book and maybe did, was that the thought track that it was going to be such a, a large book to start with so much detail in it or was once you started going it just started flowing and you just had so much to put down the the genesis is i was at a conference in bangkok i was at a mastermind table with a bunch of other coaches we were talking about group coaching we were talking about our Jim Collins, you know, BHAG, our big, hairy, audacious goals. So I said, uh, I really want to to uh, write a, create a course to do group coaching in finance. Use my 40 years of experience uh, in, the, in and around money to write a, a cradle to grave compendium of everything and anything I know about money to help people. Um, because it, it's a mystery for a lot of folks. So they kind of looked at me and it's like, dude, you ain't getting any younger. Uh, you might want to get on that. And uh, I took that yeah. swift kick in the butt and I went back home and I wrote the entire thing in 50 days. I wrote wow. an 18 chapter uh, table of contents. And in 50 days, I wrote 96,000 words and I wrote it as a course. And then I got a dozen people to volunteer to take the course. And I went through all the course material and I was all ready to go. And then a bunch of people said, dude, this is a book. You need to wow. make this a book. That's your lead magnet. And that sent me down the self-publishing rabbit hole, which sure. took about a year hiring copy editors. What's a copy editor? Uh, hiring uh, people, you know, I just dragged infographics there's 250 infographics in the book which is one of the reasons it's so large and i just dragged them off the internet you know i found them on the the, the st louis fed website here and yeah. there i never gave a thought that this would ever be printed and then my designer who laid the whole thing out in indesign said uh, these aren't going to work they yeah. have to be 300 dpi this that so i found a guy on on fiverr that a friend of mine referred me to and for for 10 bucks a graphic he converted it into vector files. And I'm like, wow, that was easy. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah. 
sometimes the ease, right? I think I think a lot of talk, especially when you're doing your business, you have to understand that the roles that you need to play in, right? And, and instead of trying to figure out every space, like I'm gonna go figure out how to change that graphic into this, where you would have spent hours of your time on yeah, that, no, right? Not gonna do that. I'm gonna exactly. hire, there's a million people on Upwork and Fiverr, and I just hired two people off of Hire My Mom. Um, to help me with some stuff. There's a million people out there, fractional folks, freelancers. But yeah. the first time you do something, it's like the same thing when we're talking about entrepreneurship because your your flock are young business people and many of them are on their first business. And the learning curve is really steep, mm. right? But then I'm writing another book right now, which is a business book. And now I, I know all the things. I don't know everything, but I know a lot of the stuff that I didn't know. It's not a mystery anymore. Right? I've driven that route before, so it doesn't seem like it's taking me forever. Oh, I've done this before. Talk to me about some of the takeaways from your life as a serial entrepreneur. What, what were some of the things that drew you to the businesses that you started? And what were some of the lessons uh, along that route? I'm sure there's plenty of folks, so maybe maybe the top top four or five that stand out. Yeah, um, there are, I, so I started my first business uh, 30 years ago, 1991. I started it as a side hustle. And I describe businesses in two ways, and I'm writing about this in my, in my book. There are really two flavors of origin story. There is the uh, accidental business, as I call it. Uh, the, the shinier name for that would be opportunistic. Um, and then there's the, the purposeful business, the one where you actually sat down and wrote a business plan or had an idea about what it is that you wanted to do. So my first business was called Abacus Solutions. We were a computer reseller. We became a um, Apple computer value-added reseller. People would say, what's your value add? It's like me, you wanna buy stuff from me. <laughs> Pretty much that was our secret sauce. And I, I, uh, I had a, a friend of mine, college friend, and um, he worked for a leasing company and he was having trouble um, sourcing Max for one of his Fortune 500 clients. And I said, let me take a crack at it. And I just kind of went out and bought them retail and reconfigured them and boxed them up and shipped them. And I made mm -hmm. a couple of bucks and then he just kept you know, funneling low hanging fruit. And after a year and a half, I'd done $600,000 worth of business. And I looked at my wife and I said, I'm quitting my job and giving yeah. up my gold plated um, you know, retirement plan and health plan and I'm gonna hang up a shingle and never look back. Wow. Wow, and what, what's been your favorite business you've started? Mm. My favorite business was around 2003, I started a home theater business. So we built, we did home automation. That's when uh, flat screens were first coming out. So people were throwing out their old CRTs yeah. and they were super expensive. They were thousands of dollars and home automation, uh, Crestron, um, a new company called Control 4 came out in like 2005, 2006. I became a dealer for that. Uh, love that stuff, super tech. Mm -hmm. We go in and people would spend $100,000 teching their house out, doing lighting control, this, that, and the wow. other thing. It was the funnest business. It was also the worst imaginable, <laughs> imaginable business on the planet um, because the contingent liabilities for maintaining these systems, sure. they're super complicated. Yeah. So we had housekeepers in New York City, they would knock the little mouse emitter off of the TV, right? That's the thing that flashes the TV to turn it on. Um, we'd have to ha roll a truck and have a service call. Yeah. Uh, that's not our fault. Mm -hmm. um, and what am I gonna do? Charge them 500 bucks for, yeah. which is a, you know, roughly what I should have charged for that service call. Can't really do that because you're working in a, in a referral business. 
you want people to sell for you, be your right. advocate. Yeah, I can see it. It takes one wrong kid to touch the touch the remote control and hit the wrong Actually, button. Actually, no, yeah. one wrong adult. Right, I yeah, loved true. it. I used to say, look, uh, we need, I want clients with kids in the house. Yeah. Kids became my, my, uh, my, my lifeblood, right? They okay. knew how to use the remote. So they were yeah. like a built-in support staff. Have a 12 year old in the house, it's great. Uh, you know, older couple, oh man, we are in such trouble with that. <laughs> I can see that, it's, it's quickly as thing to go. So how, how do you identify opportunities today? What, what is it that really stands out to you? I, I, with all this experience, you say, okay, this is the direction I wanna go. Well, today it's, you know, everything has shifted with the internet. I mean, yeah. in 91, there was no internet. Um, I still remember when we got our first ISDN line. Right. Uh, I mean, it's really dating. I think it was one and a half megabits. Wow. Um, they actually, the, the, the ISP gave us a, a class C, it's actually a C plus three address. What does that mean for the non, non techies? They gave us 64 static IPs. That, that's what came with our package. And when I say hmm. static IPs, I mean of all the IPs in the world, and there's not that many, we got 64 of them. Well, <laughs> that was before everything changed with, with NAT and, and, and other stuff. Now I, you know, now you got to pay, you know, extra money just to get one static IP. They gave us a C plus three, 64 <laughs> static wow. IPs. Yeah. So every computer was a static IP on the internet, which was a riot, but it was yeah. dreadfully slow. Mm -hmm. Um, and we lived through the whole first generation, whole dot bomb, 99, 2000, 2001. That whole run up where people were going crazy building websites and VCs were throwing money at the most cockamamie ideas on the planet. And then that all exploded. And then we went through 2000 when I was in the home theater business. People kind of um, rebuilt that internet and that, that really changes how you market. Uh, we grew up, my business partner and I, my first business partner, just leveraging our personal relationships, right? We had thick Rolodexes and we knew people. Uh, and that's how we did stuff. Now you can just start a business and you don't need any of that. Mm. Do some Facebook ads, go on LinkedIn, uh, you know, do PPC, or you could start a, an FBA business. I'm not sure what, what your listeners do. Uh, FBA meaning fulfilled by Amazon or an affiliate business. Um, but there's a downside to that because now your sales are, you're playing in someone else's sandbox, right? So yeah, your true. sales are coming through a channel that forget about control. You don't even have an influence on. Yeah. All right. So, you know, Peely and I are all about large multifamily, but we are here today because there was an event that kicked off our real estate career. and We want to bring it to you. It is called Flip Hacking Live. I know, I know the name says flipping, but hear us out. This was the quintessential event that kick-started our careers in real estate. So it gave us everything we use today. It was marketing, how to talk to investors, how to really build our base and build our team that we use today to really do what we do in large multifamily. And that's why we're bringing you this special discount. If you go to Flip Hacking Live today and you put in JP tickets, which just went up to $397. Well, they're going to give you $100 off that we're going to pay for because that's how much we believe in this event. So go there, go to the link, click on it, learn about it, and go to this event. You will not be sorry. Let's do this. Right. Yeah. That's extremely risky. As risky as it is to bootstrap a business, 
and start it up from scratch and try to leverage your, your personal contract. It's even riskier when the sales and, and marketing aspect of your business is tethered to a gigantic company that, let's face it, they don't give a crap about you. And so how do you stand out today? Uh, it's tough uh, d doing things like this, you yeah. know, trying to become a thought leader or an influencer. I still don't know what an influencer is. I got three <laughs> boys and they can't seem to, to they're all, they're, they're millennials. I guess one's a Gen Z. I don't know. I can't keep track of it. I don't know why they started the Gens at X and then Y and then Z because now we run out of letters. What's exactly. You start, start at the end. Where do you go? Yep. Well, there is, you can, there's a, there's a Dr. Seuss boot. But yeah, like about the letters that go past Z. I think I think Woods is the next one. So God. the next kids who were born will be Generation Woods. Maybe somebody in Generation Woods can explain to me what an influencer is. Because I look at it and I scratch my head and it's like, do you do anything? I mean, it reminds me of the stars who used to be on the Hollywood squares. You know, Charles Nelson Riley. Is he yeah. just famous for being famous, or did he actually do something? I'm dating right. myself. Wally Cox, you know. <laughs> That's funny. You actually think about it today is that you know, you, with with the availability out there, I mean, it, it, there's just so much information, right? And that's that's part of the downside is just trying to um, create a message. And it, it gets to the point where if you reach the mass audience, um, can you have a viable message to them, right? Or is it just a, a click through where if you can reach a targeted audience, hopefully you can help them to that next stage. And with your book here, what are some of the proponents that, that people should really dive into the book for that, that can really give them um, an overlay of some of the main topics that are missing in today's society? Well, everything, I'm sorry, bad word, non-coaching word, shouldn't say everything, shouldn't use black and white words. Um, much of the stuff that's out there doesn't just doesn't have any substance. It's just skimming along the surface. One of the reasons that the book is so big is because I don't want to skim along the surface because everybody else is already doing that. Uh, so I want to dive a little bit deeper and I tend to be a contrarian. So a lot of what I bring up is this is what the mass market is telling you. It's just not true. So a simple example. Um, there's an old saying that you, if you're investing in the stock market, that the percentage of your of your wealth should be um, 100 minus your age. So if you're 61 years old like me, uh, I should not have more than 30% of my, the 39% of my money in the stock market. Hmm. Uh, that's just an old, you know, adage that they use to market. That's nonsensical thinking. It, it's just makes, there's, there's no relation to reality. I was on a podcast yesterday. I was talking about FIRE, which is which is uh, financial independence, retire early, right? Yeah. I didn't write really nice things about it in my, uh, in my book. In fact, I said, look, this is the kind of stuff that comes out of academia. Try doing it in practice. Try taking 4% for the next 25 years, retiring at 29. Uh, and putting you know a bunch of money away. What happens when you have a pandemic? The ironic thing is, mm. at the beginning of the pandemic, I read an article in the New York Times about all these people who had, were implementing fire and were now out looking for part-time jobs because it didn't quite work out. Uh, yeah. So, you know, one of my watchwords is avoid all that noise. Turn all that noise down. Start at the beginning. Chapter one: Psychology of Money. Are you living in scarcity? Are you living in abundance? Or are you somewhere between those goalposts? You need to figure out 
or yourself and you know you hire somebody like me or a coach same in entrepreneurship how are you going to run your business right most people i'd say the majority of people live in scarcity sure they do they just do they're risk averse uh then there's a few folks who are on the opposite spectrum who are constantly gambling and constantly losing right feast or famine you want to be kind of somewhere in the middle there's a time for scarcity and there's a time for abundance you want to really want to try to live as abundant a life as you can but first you got to be aware of your tendencies your patterns so i talk a lot about patterns i have a pattern of talking about patterns um and that's where we start that's what we figure out this this the first six chapters i i look at the book as as three acts because i'm a screenwriter so the first act is figure out your your um your tendencies i do something that i call the thick green line that kind of traces the arc of your network your net worth versus your age uh because many people will get to the age of 30 and realize that they have a, a zero or a negative net worth they they've oh. accumulated no assets whatsoever they have a whole load of student debt maybe they got a little money in a retirement account but if you net it all out my wife and i when we got married i was 31 she was 28 29 we had a net worth of exactly zero dollars when we got married in 1991. wow and within six years we had a net worth over a million dollars there you go and we've never had a net worth less than that uh since then in the, in the ensuing 25 years what were some of the key changes you made from getting married to those six years to, to start yourself on that journey? Well, I would have loved to have been dinky, you know, dual income, no kids, but Matt, my son Matthew was born, uh, you know, 10 months and nine days after we got married. So he wasn't a honeymoon baby, but, but he was close. But still, we both had good jobs. We lived in New York City, but we lived in a, in a pretty tiny one bedroom apartment with the crib at the, uh, at the foot of the bed. And it was a thousand dollars a month. And we were making about 150 grand a year between the two of us. Mm. Uh, and so we lived way be, way below our means. Correct. You know, we could have rented a $3,000 a month apartment if we wanted to, we had the cash flow to do it. But I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. So we sacrificed for four years, we saved a bunch of money and we bought a loft apartment on, on Fifth Avenue. Um, in uh when did we, we closed i think end of 92. uh talk about people moving out of new york that was the middle of the crack e epidemic in 1992. uh that was the highest murder rate in the city 2600 over 2600 people were murdered in new york city that's like wow. five a day yeah in 92. And my parents were looking at me like you want to do what <clears throat> you want to buy an apartment in new york city and put roots down that's kind of kooky but um as it turned out, we, we bought at the bottom. We didn't know. It's one of those things where you, you, you do something that most people, they just don't want to do. And that's maybe live below their means for a couple of years, but it can really, and, and that's what it is. Like, I don't want to potentially um, take away from what my lifestyle, whatever that so is, so I can now, so I can live better for the rest of my life. And so many times we, we get stuck okay, I make more, so I spend more. I say, you know, and then, then I'm spending too much and I gotta figure out how to make more. And it, it's that revolving wheel. You're never you're never quite anywhere exact, except exactly where you are. Because if you're making $1 and spending $1, or you're making 1 million and spending 1 million, you're, you're basically in the same spot. You have to, you know, we, I kept a very, you know, crooked eye on the money. 
And we had some fights and some arguments about that. Um, yeah. I think I think uh, at the time, my wife disagreed with the strategy. Felt we were we were making too much of a dare I use the S word sacrifice. Mm. But about ten years after we bought that apartment, I overheard her talk to somebody about what we did, and she was proud of it. Mm. So. I'm like, yeah, I succeeded. She would never say it to me, of course, but um, she said it to a third party, and I said, all right. So our strategy worked. Yeah. But in reality, you know, to some degree, we're still a couple of just dumb kids, you know, buying in New York City during the middle of a crack and murder epidemic. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was a crummy apartment that needed a, res- uh, uh, a renovation. I had to borrow fifty grand. I borrowed fifty grand from her boss on a handshake. Wow. wow. He just gave me. He said, "Yeah, sure." And I paid him back. I paid him some interest. It's like, uh, yeah, we were, um, you know, kind of a couple nutty kids, but it worked out very well. So, for people out there today that that see your book and and know that they're not in the right spot, um, give us the through message for the book. Why should they go out and get that book today? Well, the main reason is I give it away for free. So if you go to my if you go to my website. Uh, if you go to bookbaby.dosknowledge.com, that's the landing page. Uh, you can you can download it for 100% off. Because I discovered as a self-publisher that marketing a book, there are about two million books that go on Amazon alone every year. It's tough. Wow. Talk about a crowded space in the internet trying to trying to um, you know get a patch of land for yourself. Mm. It's tough. So um, I just I give it away. I want people to read it. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of valuable information in there. There's something for everybody at every age. Yeah. Um, I was originally going to call it Financial Intelligence for the Sandwich Generation, and I pitched that title to my wife, and she said, "Oh, I really like that. What's the Sandwich Generation?" So I said, uh, "Yeah, that's not the first thing I want people to think about, but it really is aimed towards people who have young children and aging parents, and they're sandwiched in between. Yeah. They're trying to pay their mortgage, save for retirement." Pay healthcare. They're they're trying to put money away for their kids' college, and they're also worried about grandma and grandpa. Uh, did they save enough money? Correct. Uh, and it's tough sometimes to have that money conversation uh, with your parents. Uh, my parents were very closed mouth about money. The only time I found out uh, about their money situation was when my father died in 2000, and I spent a week with a spreadsheet and a and a laptop figuring out. Their money situation, and I was relieved afterwards that they weren't destitute because they never really shared much of anything. They were very frugal. They drove cars until the fenders fell off. Like, yeah. you know, my neighbors are buying new cars. Why don't we buy a new car? Well, this one's paid for, and it still mm-hmm. works, right? I'll tell you a funny story. My mother called me. She refused to get a cell phone for years and years, and so she called me and she said,、um, "I got this weird number coming up, and it's like it's my mom." It's like, what's this number you're calling from? Oh, I got a phone. Really? Why'd you get a phone, Ma? She said, Well, the car's got 175,000 miles on it, and I'm worried that it might break down somewhere. I need to call somebody. And、wow. I said, Ma, you don't need a phone. You need a new car. That's right. I love it. Well, Henry, I love the message. I'll then dive into the book. Everyone here listening today, you can benefit from a book like this. They can teach you to be better at money because no one out there can say that、oh, I'm bad with money. That's not an excuse you can make, and that you should make ever. Everyone can be better with their money, and a lot of it just comes down to understand where's your money going. And I'm sure that's a lot of the topics in the book today. So, yeah, it's Henry, a lot of it. 
Thank you so much for coming on the show. Go out there, uh, get the book. It's over at bookbaby.dasknowledge, uh, dasknowledge, uh, D-A-A-S, knowledge.com. Uh, um, you can find that across all the social platforms as well. Thank you so much for being on the show. I love Thanks this. for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. For everyone listening, thank you. Talk to you shortly. Join us for your second cup of coffee every Monday through Friday at noon. Live every day, bringing us our best content we've done so far. Super excited, super engaging, bunch of great guests. We're here to answer your questions, and we so appreciate you listening. Make sure to check us out. Can't wait to see you.